0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The FT Last week I received an email inviting me to join a panel of self-important people talking about something I don't know much about. I said no, it wasn't my sort of thing. I know you hate egos, the woman emailed back, but this is an ego-free panel, no grandstanding, just a really great discussion. In this, she was wrong. I don't hate egos. It would be hypocritical to hate them, given the size and fragility of my own. But what I do hate is the increasingly common pretense that egos are absent, or the more ludicrous idea that they've somehow been left at the door. Every chairman will say his board is ego-free. Every CEO will claim ego is not tolerated on the top team. Earlier this month, there was Joseph Ackerman declaring in the FT that on the investor board, no one is playing an ego game, which I don't believe for a minute. I've never heard a CEO, no matter how puffed up, admit to even having one. Sir Martin Sorrell's rivals will happily tell you that his ego will be his downfall, yet I'm not aware of the man himself ever having discussed it at all. Our ego denial is not only ridiculous, but makes us behave stupidly at work. Real life tells us that at work almost everything is ego, and science tells us the same. There are two studies that present two very basic truths. The first shows how everyone routinely overestimates their own role in everything. Psychologists from Harvard and the University of Chicago asked academics who co-wrote papers to estimate what percentage of the work each was responsible for. Added together, the estimates came to an average of 140%. A similar study with MBAs produced a similar result. Our egos make us think that we're more important than we are. Or, as the academics put it, there's an egocentric bias in responsibility allocation. I've long noticed this egocentric bias at play in my own kitchen. Ask the members of my household what percentage of the weekly washing up they carry out, and a total of 250% would be arrived at with no difficulty at all. Such overclaiming not only applies to good work, but to our failures too. The studies show that when we screw something up, we also inflate our own role. Understanding this is vaguely comforting. I may not be ready to start toning down my estimation of how often I wash up, but next time I mess something up, I will console myself with the thought that my failure is smaller than my ego is telling me it is. The second study, carried out by psychologists at Harvard, proves another truth. Everyone adores talking about themselves. In the experiment, people were given a choice. They could either answer questions about their own opinions, for a small financial reward, or, for a larger reward, could answer questions about someone else, like Barack Obama. Most people were happy to forego extra money so long as they could hold forth on their favourite subject, themselves. Last week I spent two hours on a train with someone I know professionally. I don't know her terribly well, but by the end of the journey I decided that she was a truly splendid person. Sympathetic, intelligent, trustworthy... Now, having reflected on it, I'm mortified to realise that she'd mastered my lesson before I'd mastered it myself. She recognised the surest way to win in the ego game was to allow me to go on about my life and opinions while she laughed and asked questions where appropriate. There are two laws about egos. The first is that they inevitably get bigger as people get more successful and more senior. The second is that not all egos are the same. Some you can see and some you can't. The visible sort of ego, the kind that throws its weight around, is the most tiresome. But the silent sort, that tricks you into thinking it isn't there, is the most dangerous. I know this because I possess both varieties. I have my own column and I show off. I often write about myself. I've already uttered the word I 26 times, and I haven't yet finished. But I also have the suppressed sort. Because I know egregious displays of ego are horrible and bad manners, I try not to make them. But when people can't see the ego and step on it, it hurts just as much, and you hold it against them more because you can't protest. As a PS... In the course of writing this, I was aware of a kerfuffle on the features desk behind me. Two academics had submitted an excellent article for publication. But when told the FT would only accept it with a single name as a byline, they had a battle of egos, failed to agree, and the piece was withdrawn. I hope they listen to this, understand that they were merely suffering from a perfectly normal, egocentric responsibility allocation bias, and that in their mutual interest, one or another finds the grace to climb down. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors.